Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello. Hi, everyone. How are you? It's, yo, it's like almost the end of the year. I can't believe it. What's the date today? The 14th. I'm recording this on December 14th. You'll hear this December 15th. I cannot believe that we are already here. Uh, Just a little scheduling note. I believe I'm going to take off next week. So that's the week before Christmas. I think Christmas is on the 25th and this podcast would normally come out like the 22nd. But I think I'll take that week off um, because I'm going out of town that weekend, but then I'll be in town the rest of the year. So I believe that I will then release episodes the weekend after Christmas, whatever, like that's what, the 30th, Um, and after New Year's Day. Christmas being on a Wednesday is like a troll, basically. But, you know, this is where we are. So, yeah, just just a heads up. Uh, I'm going to take one week off for the holidays, but it's going to be the pre-Christmas weekend, not the post-Christmas weekend. Maybe I'll even record my episode on Christmas because I'm not doing anything on Christmas. So that will be great. Uh, okay, the other thing that I want to talk about right off the bat, if you are following me on Instagram, feathers underscore pod, or Twitter at BentleyLiz1, you will know that this year I decided to participate in something called uh, Operation Santa. It is run by USPS, USPS, yeah, the United States Postal Office, and they've been doing it for a lot of years, but it was always just in New York, and then in the last couple years, they have put it online, and I think there must have been like a big PR campaign for it this year, because I saw it everywhere, and one day this week, maybe Tuesday, I was like, you know what, I really would love to adopt a letter. Basically, uh, children and families write into Santa Claus, and the post office opens all of those letters up, and they scan them in. I don't know if they open all those letters up. I think they might open up letters from certain zip codes, Um, and they scan them in, and it is targeted towards needy families, and then you can go online and you can read the letters. You can filter it to your state, which of course I did not know until after I'd already adopted two families. But thankfully, the ones I adopted are one, it happens to be in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and the other one is in New York. So thankfully, I'm not shipping to California. And you read these letters and then you pick families to adopt. You picked letters to adopt. Um, And this is a program that's, like I said, been going on for, I think, 100 years, I read. Like, Operation Santa by the post office is a longstanding thing. They There's a whole episode of 30 Rock on this. It's actually such a good, <laughs> such a funny episode. Liz Lemon, you got scrumped. What's the past tense? A scam? Scrumped? Um, so, and Liz Lemon does not get scrumped. She gives her gifts to a needy family. But basically, you adopt letters, and I decided to pick a letter, and I was like, 
damn, like this is actually going to cost like a decent amount of money, but I really want to do it. I will say some of the letters are like kind of crazy when you read them. It's like, I want a MacBook Air (laughs) AirPods in an iPhone 11. It's like, okay, well, I probably can't afford to adopt that one. (laughs) But that's fine. If a kid wants to ask for that, like let him ask for that. Maybe somebody will send them that. But I, the first letter I found was uh, a person that, was writing on behalf of a one-year-old and a nine-year-old girl and she wrote their like clothing sizes in it I don't know if the mom wrote it or maybe the uh like maybe the mom was ESL or the like the nine-year-old wrote it obviously the one-year-old did not write it but basically they were just asking for toys and clothes and also the nine-year-old girl asked for a tablet And I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to adopt this family. I can definitely spend like $100 or $150, whatever, to do this. I just won't get them the tablet because she also asked for clothes and dolls. Or I don't remember exactly what she asked for, but I I was like, I can get her clothes, whatever, it'll be great. And then I was like kind of browsing around and I was like, you know, why don't I like post this on the Feathers My Hair Instagram account and see if I should, like, I could raise enough to get a tablet. Like, it'd be so cool if I could get people to pitch in and we could get this girl a tablet. That would be awesome. And I did, and it kind of, like, exploded from there. At first, when I raised, like, $250, I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. Like, I got the tablet for her, a case, a screen protector, I got, like, everything that the little kid wanted. I have money allocated to get them clothes. And I was like, wow, I got, I have even more money than I needed for all this. And including, like, what I'm going to put in. And I will just put the rest on a gift card. And then I kind of, like, posted about it. And someone was like, well, why don't you adopt a second family? And I was like, wow. I mean, I like, I could... I, like, I could try that if people are willing to, like, you know, continue donating, and they were. And as of now, I have raised, um, I don't know what the full, um, hold on, let me add up the full amount, because it's on a couple different platforms. I have officially raised (laughs) $1,493. I laugh because it's fucking crazy. I'm planning on spending, like, Twelve fifty of that on gifts. Um, I think that I'm gonna leave, like I'm gonna, I'm trying to leave myself like two hundred dollars for shipping because you do pay for your own shipping, and I want to make sure that everything can be shipped. Obviously, like if it's more, I don't think it will be more, but if it is, like I will pay for that. Um, but I'm trying to make it so that like everybody kind of gets the max amount of gifts and uh, shipping is covered. If I have leftover money after I finish the rest of the shopping, I'm going to just put more on gift cards than I've already planned. Uh, Each family is getting a pretty generous gift card for the mom. Oh, so I adopted that first family. Then I adopted a second family, which has three kids. The mom is like, I just need help. Like, we here are shoe sizes. We need shoes. We need clothes. And these are some things that the kids like. So they're getting, like, Barbies and Frozen dolls and clothes. And mom's getting a gift card. And I got all that, and I still had money left over. And I was like, wow, let me, like, browse a little um, and see if there's, like, another letter that I can adopt that maybe isn't asking for so much. Like, maybe it's just one kid, and I found one. I found, well, I found multiple, but I found one that was really good. And 
So I adopted that fam or that letter and it's a four-year-old girl and basically was just asking for Barbies and that she was excited to see Frozen 2 and I got her Barbies and uh, a Fandango gift certificate so they can go see Frozen 2, although they've probably already seen it, but maybe they can go again. And some Frozen dolls and some LOL surprise dolls, which I think are not cute, by the way. Uh, and then I like still had some money and I was, <laughs> I was like, well, let me just see what I can do because like more and more money was coming in. And I then found this letter that I want to read because it's like, I just can't believe this. Like, I can't believe the letter. I can't believe what we were able to do for her. And she, like, I was just so touched. So it says, Dear Santa, Merry Christmas. My name is Kayla. I'm the youngest in my family, mom, older sister, and brother. I've had it kind of hard the past couple of years with bullying. With help, I'm learning to believe in myself and be accepting of my flaws. For Christmas this year, I'm asking for a laptop to help me journal more and to help with my schoolwork. If possible, I'm a medium or I'm in need of a winter coat too, size adult medium. Thank you, love Kayla. Now, <laughs> how could you not? Like, how could you not just, like, melt at this? I, it really, truly just was, like, a pu punch in the gut. I had, like, 150 or maybe even $100 left. And I was like, fuck it. I'm buying her a Chromebook. I'm getting her a winter coat. Like, whatever I have to cover. Like, I don't care. And I posted this, and I got even more donations than I could even, like, imagine. You know, it, just, like, seeing the donations roll in has been so touching and I bought her an HP laptop. Uh, it was like about 200, I think, well, because I also got her a year at Geek Squad, which I have to, of course, now figure out how I can get it so that she can um, use the Geek Squad without contacting me because this is all anonymous donations. You just write like from Santa on it. And I am, so I have to figure that out. But like, you know, I dropped like $300 at Best Buy and was like, I cannot believe it. Then I was able to get her a coat today at Walmart, like a cute coat that I would wear. Um, I I just cannot believe that, like, I'm going to put a fucking laptop in the mail for a little girl. And, well, I think she's, like, probably a teenager, early teenager. But I cannot believe, like, I'm going to put a laptop in the mail and she's going to open it and get it. And that, like, ugh, I just, it feels so great. I'm so honored uh, that I'm able to use my platform for this. I'm so, like, I'm just thrilled that I'm able to help so many families, and it's all thanks to you guys. Um, I've gotten, like, a couple donations from people in my life, like my boss and my parents both donated, and uh, I posted about this on my personal Instagram, and, like, three or four friends uh, donated, which was amazing, but I will say, like, 90% of the donations have come from Feathers in My Hair listeners, or people on Twitter, and it's just, it's so amazing. Uh, I'm going to be excited. I'm not going to mail things out, I believe, until Tuesday or Wednesday. So I'm still accepting donations. If you want to donate, you can Venmo me or Cash App me at BentleyLiz1. It's the same as my uh, Twitter and Instagram handle. If you go on my Feathers Pod Instagram account, I've written it out like multiple times. Uh, you can always DM me if you have questions. Uh, you can PayPal me as well. I have that information on there. I'm just not going to read my personal email address onto this podcast. It's easily findable now that I've been solicit soliciting PayPal donations. But yeah, if you want to donate and help 
I will be able to buy more gifts or most likely I will buy more gift cards for these families because I think that that would, you know, I've gotten like a good amount of gifts for all the families and tomorrow I'm going to go clothes shopping. So I've gotten like a good amount of stuff, but of course like gift cards will always be super helpful for people. So if you want to donate, please, please, please do it. All proceeds are going to this. Um, I'm going to make sure that like not, I mean, not a single cent will be left over. And it's been such an honor and I'm so grateful to use my platform this way. And yeah, that is just what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, uh, sad news. Angie Doty. How do you say their last name? Doty is how you say Kristen Doty's last name from Vanderpump Rules. And in my head, I've always called them Doty. I don't know. Mackenzie McKee's mom, Angie, has passed away from cancer. It wasn't really a surprise for anybody that was following along. She was diagnosed with stage four cancer almost two years ago. I believe she got her diagnosis on like January 2nd or 3rd of 2018, right? What year is it? Yeah. So of 2018, she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and it's been, you know, up and down. She was given six months to live and she lived almost two years uh, it's been, it was pretty remarkable that she got that much time, but you know, when you have stage four cancer, like that's terminal illness and it's not like if you will die, but how long that you'll be able to live for, at least that's my understanding of it. And it is obviously very sad, but I think she was very, very sick in the end. Um, they were posting pictures of her in the last few days and it was bad. Like, she she was very, very, very sick, and I believe they moved up Christmas. She had announced on Instagram that she was going to go on hospice, and it's just sad. I feel terrible. I feel terrible for Mackenzie. I really genuinely worry for Mackenzie. Um, you know, she's somebody that's always had a pretty codependent relationship with her mom, and I worry about how that is going to play out. I do not think Josh is a good support for her. <sighs> I don't know. I'm worried for her. I hope her family really, I understand they're all grieving too, but I hope they really can surround her and lift her up and comfort her during this time. And I hope that Josh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what I hope Josh does. Like, I guess I hope he steps up, but like, I don't know if he's able to step up. But yeah, it's really sad. I feel awful for her, but I do believe that she was, you know, in so much pain and suffering at the end based on those pictures that she posted that I'm sure in a way it was a relief that she was no longer suffering. Um, and I do think it's remarkable that she was able to live two years with the diagnosis that she had. Um, yeah, that's really, I mean, there's nothing like snarky to say. I've seen some people really questioning their grieving choices, which I get. Um, they are live streaming her funeral and I've seen people like really hate on that. But it really doesn't bother me at all because Angie was kind of obsessed with the limelight in a way. <laughs> like Angie, that sounds like an insult, but Angie was somebody who since her diagnosis posted every single day on Instagram. She was obsessed with what she believed her mission was, which was sharing the, wor the word of Christ. And uh, I know that she like believed in using her platform to spread this awareness and this message that she had. And of course, the Christian or the funeral be a Christian funeral in which 
they will mostly be talking about her testament, I would imagine. Is that what it's called? Testament? Testimony? I don't know, guys. I don't don't know that much about Christianity. (laughs) What I do know about Christianity is usually in the context of cults. Um, anyway, I think that Angie probably told them before she passed to live stream her funeral. I think there are a lot of people who have been following her journey for two years who feel extremely close and connected. I would read, you know, the comments on her posts a lot of times. And it was like a lot of the same people day in and day out, like thanking her for sharing her message and bringing them closer to God. And I just don't see the problem in live streaming the funeral if, like, if Angie was a very private person and then they were like, oh, well, we're going to live stream the funeral, I'd be like, that's kind of weird. I don't get it. Like, I don't really get it. Like, if I died tomorrow and my family, like, well, I don't know. If I died, would you guys want to see my live stream funeral? Because I do, like, have a platform and, like, I don't know, like, thousands of people listen to this every week. So maybe, like, a couple hundred would want to watch my funeral. I don't know. I I think it would be weird if my family did that. But just in general, like, I, if you're, like, an extremely private person and you die and then your family decides to live stream it for everyone and not just, like, maybe a link for out-of-town family, I can understand, like, thinking that it's very weird. But when I read that they were doing that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, mm mm-hmm. That tracks. Like, to me, like, I would be more shocked if they weren't live streaming the funeral just because of how um, active on social media and, like, just in life Angie had been for the last two years in spreading her gospel. And I, like, I believe that if she did not straight up ask for this, which I think she probably did, then this is absolutely something that she would want. So I have no problem with it. Um, and if the family's okay with it, then the family's okay with it. Now, if they're, like, selling the link and making money on it, well, even still, they probably need money. God only knows how much her fucking treatment... Maybe they should be selling the link. Because God, God only knows how much her treatment cost. Two years with stage four cancer? <sighs> Not cheap. Not cheap at all. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, I don't really have anything to snark about with how they've been handling... Angie's death. Um, I know a lot of people hated how the pictures that they were posting in the end. Uh, but like I said, Angie like clearly believed that this was her mission and they had Angie's permission to post all this shit. And she was actively posting it until the last, you know, three days before she died. She was the one making the post. I believe she was the one that wrote the post about her going on hospice or maybe said like, I'm having my daughter type this up because I'm having trouble typing. But she absolutely, like, was able to actively say, like, put my hospice announcement on Instagram. So I think that, like, if you're, like, if you're a person that is online like that, then I don't really have a problem with you, like, continuing to, like, live your truth online. Now, it's maybe not something I would do if I got cancer. Like, I don't know how open I would want to be about it. Or if my mom was sick, I don't know how open I would want to be about it. But also, like, I don't know. You never know until you're in that position. And I know a lot of people found it distasteful, but I personally, like, I don't know. I just didn't. Like, it was just in track with everything she had been doing for two years. And I think, in a way, it would have been weirder for her to be like, okay, well, now, like, to go offline for two weeks. And the family comes back and we're like, Angie died when she'd been posting every single day. I don't know. I I just feel awful for them. It's very sad. Angie, 
obviously will be missed. She was very young and, you know, full life and to, it, it's just devastating. And that's all I really have to say about it. Like I said, there's nothing for me at least to really snark on. I know some people have some issues with it, but I personally do not. Okay. Let's talk about the fucking reunion and then Team Mom Young and Pregnant right after a quick break. Can we talk about the straight audacity of Teen Mom 2 doing a three-part reunion? When Dr. Drew said on part three, I almost lost my fucking mind. I almost lost my mind. That's part of the reason that I'm going to take next week off. <laughs> I was like, well, fuck that. I'm guessing it's because Teen Mom OG will come back. Well, let's look at dates. Let's look at dates, shall we? Okay, so if next week, the 17th, is part two, or excuse me, part three of the reunion, I guess what they're going to announce is that Teen Mom OG will come back on Tuesday. Uh, I like Teen Mom being on Mondays better. I like Monday as mother. You guys, how do you feel? Monday or Tuesday? I don't watch the show until Friday or Saturday, but I just like it being on Monday. Um, Oh my God, I got a new debit card because my old one was the chip stopped working basically and the fucking thing the color is peeling off what the fuck wells fargo should i just not say the name that i have of a bank on here whatever i don't care uh rob me just kidding please don't um but i'm guessing they're gonna announce that team Amoji will come back on tuesday the 7th uh because the 31st basically like you know, the 17th will be Teen Mom 2 Part 2 Reunion, or Part 3 Reunion, and then the next Tuesday is the 24th, Christmas Eve, and the next Tuesday after that, obviously, is New Year's Eve, so it would make perfect sense for them to kind of stretch this out three weeks, take a two-week break for the holidays, where nobody's expecting anything to be on, and then have OG come back on the 7th. Um, We haven't heard anything about a new OG season, who's going to be on the new OG season. We also don't know if they were filming uh, Mackenzie, McKee's family during all of this. I kind of, I don't know. I kind of hope they were. I I don't know. Is that, would be too sad? I don't know. I don't know, guys. I don't know how I feel about if I want Mackenzie McKee to come back or not. But I think it would be sad to watch, but like at least something is going on. If you know what I mean. So yeah, I'm guessing that's why they're doing three parts because it kind of perfectly stretches into the the new year. Also, I wouldn't be surprised. When did Team Mommy Young and Pregnant come back? If they have like three more episodes and then, oh, I wonder if maybe they'll do, there's still a little ways out from Team Mommy Young and Pregnant, but they'll take oh, maybe two weeks off from airing Team Mommy Young and Pregnant and then have like two or three episodes left then the reunion, then Teen Mom OG. I don't know. I'm curious about what the schedule is going to be. But I am really offended that they even dare to have Teen Mom to have three-part reunion. It's insanity. What the fuck? This whole thing could have been one part. Oh, it's outrageous. Especially when they showed that clip of, like, Isaac asking Dr. Drew why he's so funny on his podcast but not on the show. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I never need to see this. 
Okay, so this episode starts off with Leah and Kale and talking about how they're super best friends and that Kale isn't surprised that Victoria is pregnant by the Costa Rican guy whose name I've written down, but I already forget. And I took bad notes for this, so I can't find it. Oh, Rohair, I believe his name is. Um, apparently, everybody was surprised when Chris showed up to Hawaii, including Kale, which I still just don't believe. <laughs> I'm sorry, I still do not believe that Kale didn't buy him his plane ticket. Like, a last-minute plane ticket to Hawaii? I mean, I guess it was off-season because it was summer. Right? Is that off-season for Hawaii? Summer? Because, like, don't most people go to Hawaii when it's winter? Anyway, I just could not, I just can't believe that he could afford a last minute day before trip ticket to Hawaii. That doesn't track for me. Uh, Leah had never met him before, but she thought he was great. They, Kale says like, I have no complaints about Hawaii. Apparently they had a great time. All of the kids love Chris. He would take all five of them to the beach, uh, which I saw a lot of people on Reddit freaking out about. That one adult couldn't supervise five kids at the beach, but I don't know. I grew up at the beach, so like one adult I mean first of all like no adult supervising kids was like kind of the standard when I was little because we had lifeguarded beaches (laughs) I feel like I was very young when I started going to the beach myself I mean I probably wouldn't allow a kid that I had to be that young and go to the beach by themselves but even when the parents were there it's not like they were watching like the lifeguard was watching (laughs) yikes um not great (laughs) Uh, anyway, I think that if Lux was not in the water, then all of the kids are over the age of six, the older kids, and they can all swim. And I don't really see a huge deal with them take, him taking to the beach, especially if they weren't really swimming that much and they were just playing, like, on the beach. And if there was a lifeguard. I don't know if the lifeguard situation. Uh, Kale says that she loves Jeremy. But she calls him out on his shit. Like, she's like, well, when I knew he wasn't calling Addie that much. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to actually mention that. But we then run right over that. (laughs) Uh, We get audience questions, which it's like truly never, ever one. Never. Truly never one. Um, One of them is if Kale will try for a girl, in which she says, fuck yeah. But she says she thinks she'll go to... Uh, like a sperm bank and Dr. Drew asks if she would do like selective reproduction stuff and she was like well sometimes I think about that but no I don't know and then says like if I have another boy and Kale's another or Leah's another girl we should just switch babies and I'm like I mean if you're going to the trouble going to this I mean I guess you can just like inseminate yourself at home but I don't know it's like why not just like go all in freeze some eggs get some donated sperm find a girl embryo and have a girl like if that's what you want to do like if you're gonna have more kids because you want a girl then like why not make sure that you get a girl oh I the last thing that Kale needs is another kid with another baby dad so I do hope that she at least is serious about uh going to the sperm bank <laughs> imagine having custody schedules for four parents Whew. Okay, uh, then we get a question from somebody with an English accent, and Dr. Drew's like, whoa, is Teen Mama in the UK? And it's like, you truly know nothing about this fucking show. <laughs> hey, but yes, 
She asks if Gracie's still struggling with Allie's muscular dystrophy, and Leah says that she's doing a lot better. I did decide, even though I think I said last week I didn't like it, for whatever reason in this week, I was liking Leah's brown hair. I thought that the light on the stage was hitting it well and giving it a little more vibrancy than we ever see in her Instagram pictures, and um, she, her eyes looked really blue. Like, really blue. And I guess I never realized how blue her eyes were. Although, like, two blue of eyes, like, really freak me out. <laughs> They're not right. <laughs> Do you know that Broad City moment where Leah, or Leah, where Alana and Abby are like, what the fuck do you think blue-eyed people think about? <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I thought her eyes looked like the brown really did make her eyes look quite pretty. And I think it was just like the lighting looked nice. Um, okay. Then Victoria comes out and Dr. Drew says, says something very weird, which is like, you hit rock bottom and you're really struggling and now you are back and doing so much better. But I noticed that like, you had cut out all the toxic people and now they're like slowly coming back around. And I'm like, what? I guess he was talking about her family, but I don't think that Leah ever cut her family out. Like, I don't under, that made me curious because Dawn may not have been on the show that much, but much, but that's because she was living pretty far from Leah. But as far as I know, like Dawn and Victoria were never cut from Leah's life. And I was like, what? What is Dr. Drew talking about? And Leah's like, well, I talk about it in my book. And it's like, Leah, we're not buying your book. (laughs) The only person buying your book, once again, is Jess, who will come on this podcast and recap it for all of us. Um, Oh, my God, Leah's book. I can't. And then she says, like, well, when she went to treatment, she realized that she had a lot of toxic people around her. And that she had to cut them off. And I was like, yeah, but is she talking about her mom and her sister? Like, who is she talking about when she says that? Dr. Drew asks, like, why she finally decided to go to treatment. And Leah says basically that, like, MTV really encouraged her to go. And that she wouldn't have went without MTV. So, you know, I guess that's a good thing about MTV. Um, I wrote down that Victoria's in a summer dress. And I understand Victoria's, you know, pregnant in this. But she is, like, in a full-on, like, summer maxi dress. And this was filmed in, what, like, October? Everyone else is very fall. Leah was in, like, a fucking turtleneck. And Oreo was in a bright orange maxi dress, which I found weird. I didn't quite get it. Um, But we find out that this guy, <laughs> Rohare, has... I think that's what his name is. Rohare has two baby mothers... He's got two sons by two women, which is, you know, you know, it's a, it's another situation where uh, Victoria will have three children by three men's and sh- men and she'll be getting with someone who is now three children by three women. And that's just messy. Uh, apparently his kids are old enough that he doesn't talk to the mothers anymore. He just talks right to the kids. And I'm like, how old is this guy? But I guess if the kids are like, you know, early teens, like even by 12 or 13, that's possible-ish. I don't know. That still seems really young to like not need to co-parent anymore. <laughs> it's like something you say about like an adult child, you know, like an adult, adult child, not like a 12 or 13 year old. Um, 
I would be very apprehensive of being with someone who is willing to leave their children to come live with you. Uh, they really are pushing this like 90 day fiance storyline on us. Uh, that's another thing I don't understand. Like they're saying that Leah has to, okay, so they hired an immigration attorney so that he can move to Costa Rica, or excuse me, to West Virginia. Apparently he's really hesitant about wanting to go there. Uh, Victoria made some posts that he's like really hesitant about the racism in West Virginia, which I'm glad he's like not being naive about it, but they said that Leah is going to sponsor him. I don't really know that much about, like, the immigration process, but apparently that's, like, agreeing for 10 years to financially support him, uh, which is kind of crazy for Leah to agree to because she doesn't really know this guy very well. Um, I think that it is, I don't know, it's just, it's just kind of nuts. I don't really understand why they aren't getting, you know, I know about this from TLC, obviously, but, like, a K-1 visa um, and she's just gonna, like, I don't understand why they wouldn't go that route, and, like, or why, well, I guess she can't, because she has kids here, because I forgot to mention that on Kale's podcast last week, Leah said, they talked about, uh, Victoria going to Costa Rica to have the baby, and Leah was like, no, well, then the baby won't be a citizen, which is not correct. <laughs> Like, if your mother is American, like, you're an American citizen, baby. Like, it doesn't matter where in the world you're born. Like, you're a naturalized citizen. And I I don't know if there's, like, maybe an immigration attorney said with, like, in Trump's America, like, you shouldn't do that. But that baby is American because Victoria is American. So when Leah said that, I was like, huh? I don't think that's right. But I... Like I said, maybe there's some shit going on with immigration in, in the world and today that I don't know about. And an immigration attorney advised them to make sure the baby was born in the States. But I just think that it's absolutely crazy that Leah is obviously now paying for an immigration attorney because, I don't know, Victoria's like, we hired an attorney and like kind of like looked towards Leah. And I'm like, oh, Leah, I bet you did hire an attorney for them. And that Leah is promising that she will basically financially take care of this guy. I guess they figure that because he does have, like, a full life in Costa Rica. And he doesn't... I'm not getting the impression that he's, like, a struggling person. Uh, He seems to, like, run a business in Costa Rica and does okay for himself. And, you know, has kids and family. That they just figure, like, worst case scenario is that he'll just, like, move back to Costa Rica if it doesn't work with Victoria and Rohare, but yikes that Leah is, you know, going out on the limb like this for some guy she doesn't even really know, but I guess it's generous of her. Um, then they tell us that Rohare is going to Skype in, and he Skypes in with a guy that Leah is fucking, which is very weird. Apparently, Leah is calling this guy her Costa Rican something. I'm guessing Costa Rican dick or Costa Rican cock. There's like a really weird emphasis on like how on these guys like nationality. (laughs) It's weird. Um, the guy was like not cute really. I don't think I honestly wasn't looking that hard at him, but I wasn't like blown away. And Leah's like, he's my friend. How fucking weird was that? Was that so weird that it wasn't just Leah or Victoria's boyfriend that they pulled in a guy that Leah is fucking? Because he's friends with Rohair. So, so, so bizarre. 
Okay, then John and Brie come out. Um, They saw each other a month ago, and Brie is sitting on the couch crying. I thought her, I saw some hate for her outfit on the reunion, and I actually thought it was great. That blue looks beautiful on her. I thought the cape look was very cool. I did see someone point out that, like, she was sitting in a way that was really unflattering on her legs. And when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. Because she didn't have her legs crossed. Like, you couldn't see up her dress, but she insisted with... Like, if you're on stage in a dress, like, just sit with your legs together or crossed. <laughs> but I guess when John came out, he gave Brie, like, a huge hug, and she started crying. And I was, okay, was it just me being, like, so bored by this reunion that I wasn't paying close enough attention? Or was this whole Brie and John segment, like, quite confusing? Like, I don't know if I, I'm just stupid for that, for saying that, but I was, like, pretty confused because Brie was saying that, she loves John and wants to get back together with John. But then she was also saying she loved him and she wasn't in love with him. And we watched on the show her just be, like, totally not into him. And I just couldn't understand, like, what the fuck they were talking about. And I was like, wait, what? Brie asked to get back together with him and he said no? Like, ugh. I'm just confused. I'm confused by Brie always. Okay. Then Devon comes out. They mention, which I should have mentioned in the previous episode so it wouldn't be so confusing to people, that Devoin calls himself Devoin, so they're going to call him Devoin. I think I'm going to call him Devon. I don't know. Okay. Here's the thing. Should Brie and her family call him by his name? Sure. Yeah. But, like, why... Why is he allowed that to go on for, like, eight years? And why... Doesn't he, like, constantly correct them on television? I don't know. It's just weird. (laughs) It's just weird, guys. (laughs) Also, Devon is a better name than Devoin. (laughs) Devon sounds a lot better. (laughs) Like, I feel like I should call him Devoin, but it's weird if we're only calling him Devoin in the reunions and, like, he never is saying on camera, like, during the episodes that my name is Devoin, so please call me Devoin. (laughs) Guys, it's weird. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, I just want to say, when I see criticisms of how Brie treats Devon, I feel like I'm taking fucking crazy pills. Guys, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, like, Devon is a really bad dad. He basically saw Nova, like, a handful of times the entire time the show was not on air. Then the show gets picked back up. He starts coming around, but barely. He goes weeks, months, however long, without seeing her. And when he's not seeing her, he doesn't call her or check in on her. Brie points out that she has a smartwatch that she can call and text on and uh, an iPad, and he doesn't contact her. Um, Devon even says, like, I see her every week. And Brie is like, that's a lie. You haven't seen her in two weeks. And he goes... Yeah, well, you know, it's been a busy two weeks. And she's like, okay, so why didn't you call or check in on him, check in on her? And he just, like, doesn't, he doesn't have anything to say. Uh, They talk about how he sometimes pays child support, which is, like, that's not a... (sighs) People, I keep seeing people say that Brie, like... Brie doesn't let Devon be in Nova's life. And I don't see that at all. 
I understand, like, and I've definitely talked about this on this podcast, that I find Devon to be very, like, amiable and likable. So I understand rooting for him, and I understand, like, why, as a viewer, it's kind of easy to be like, oh, Devon. But when you actually think about how little he is in Nova's life, it's like, how could you ever be on his side versus Bree's side? And we saw Bree, like, really stick to her word. She always said... If you show up more and you are consistent for Nova, I will allow you to spend more time with Nova. And she fucking did. We saw that. We saw her, like, start, let uh, let him take Nova out by herself. Then we saw her let Nova go over there during the day to his own apartment because he had his own apartment that was safe. And then we saw her let Nova spend the fucking night. And the first time he had her, he got wasted at a pool with her. And so she cut that off. Like, we saw Brie tell him exactly what she wanted from him. We saw Devon, like, kind of do it. And we saw her, like, allow him to have more time. Like, Brie has always been very forward. Like, I want you to pay for child support, and I want you to show up consistently and call Nova and be part of her life. Like, that is so bare minimum that she's asking for. And he can't even do that. And I see people be like, Bree's just keeping Nova away. She's not letting Devon be a dad. But that's not true. It's so far from the truth. She's letting him be a dad. He just is not being one. So what is Bree supposed to do? That's what I don't understand. When I see these criticisms of how Bree treats Devon, I don't understand what Bree is supposed to be doing. And like what people believe that Bree should be doing in these situations. I don't get it. Like, I don't get what more Brie could be doing to help Devon be a dad because she lets Devon come over and be in her house and spend time with Nova because he's not trustworthy enough to take on her own. So she lets Devon not come around for two fucking months and then call up and come over. Like, she could be way more strict with not letting him come around at all, and she doesn't. So Devon says, Brie, Brie at one point goes, okay, I think I just figured out why I don't like him, which is very funny. And she says that what drives her insane is that Devon knows that Nova, no matter what, is taken care of, so he doesn't push harder to be a better dad. He knows that, like, he does not have to pay for her. He does not have to pay any child support because Bree and her family will ensure that Nova has everything that she needs. He knows that he does not have to emotionally be there because, like, Nova will always be taken care of no matter what. She said Lewis is the same way. And she said that drives her up a fucking wall watching Devon, like, half-parent because he knows that he can. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Uh, Devon says that he's getting his whip soon and will change and... Oh, also, Brittany is out, and she just hasn't said a word at this point. She looked really pretty, I thought. But Bree's like, what will change when you get a car? And he's like, everything. And she was like, okay, I don't believe it, but I would like to see it. Uh, Britt then says, uh, Britt then says that Brittany, oh, De- excuse me. Dr. Drew then says that Brittany's always been a Devon cheerleader. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Has she? <laughs> Dr. Drew does not watch this show. And Brittany says that she understands that people feel like Brie comes off too hard. And that she gets really mad at him. But Brittany says that she thinks Devon needs to go to therapy so that he can learn how to communicate. So that Brie wouldn't have to be so mad about him not communicating. And Nessa was like, yeah, that's real. (laughs) Nessa on these shows is like, 
I don't know. I don't really understand why they have her out there for all the segments. I don't, I don't get what her point is, to be honest. It just does, I just don't really get it. But Devon says that Brie basically boxes all of her anger up. So then all of a sudden it comes out all at once. And it's like he punch, she punches him in the face with the anger. And yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, Brie says, or Britt says that Brie should also go to therapy so that she can learn to, like, not box everything up and she can tell Devon, like, what's wrong. And Britt then says, sorry, Jerem, just taking your job. <laughs> uh, which is very funny. Um, yeah, I think Brittany's right that both of them have trouble with communicating, but I definitely think that Brie is not the one in the wrong in the relationship between Brie and Devoin. Okay, then Jade comes out with her mom and grandma. Uh, it's Lori's first time in New York, and she's just thrilled to be there. Lori is very worried about Sean slipping, but he works at her restaurant now. And remember, guys, remember when I talked about on this podcast that Jade was opening a restaurant and being, like, so fucking confused? And now we find out, like, it's her grandma's restaurant? Do you think, like, she funded the restaurant for her grandma? She really made it seem like she was opening a restaurant. I don't know. The restaurant then closed down, I think, at one point, but I think it's back open. Because this reunion wasn't filmed that long ago. So, Lori apparently, like, really has come to love Sean, and she sees him working at the restaurant all the time, and she just worries, though, about him slipping, which I think is a reasonable worry. So, Then Drew starts telling Chrissy that she needs help, kind of the same as he was telling her in the last part of the reunion, and he suggests she goes to CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a pretty standard type of therapy, and she, Chrissy kind of starts flipping out. She's like, don't diagnose me. You don't know me. There's not one right way for everything. I have my family. My family is all I need, and Drew's like, whoa, 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 and Chrissy's like, you're attacking me, and then Drew goes, Lori, do you think that I'm attacking you? (laughs) Or that I'm attacking her? (laughs) Which is like a weird way to pivot Lori in. And Lori says that Dr. is not attacking her. And then Jade is like, I just hate this so much. I don't understand why you just won't accept help. He's not trying to diagnose you. He's not trying to fix you. He's just trying to give you suggestions. She said that Sean is the same way. Like, as soon as you try and do anything with, like, helpful for him, he just gets super defensive And then Christy is, like, fully flipping out, and she's like, I just want people to know I'm a good mom and I'm a good grandma. And Jade's like, no one calls you a bad mom. And it's like, well, the whole internet does, Jade. Uh, Then Jade is all, like, hyped up, and Jade does this thing where she talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and doesn't take a single breath the whole time. I think it's just her anxiety. And Drew's trying to get Jade to calm down, and then Christy storms off stage. (laughs) <sighs> Drew says that Jade needs to stop attacking Chrissy because every time that Jade attacks Chrissy, she sh- Jade or Chrissy shuts down in her like shame and guilt, which I think is probably true. That Chrissy has a lot of shame and guilt, and that Jade coming for her makes her shut down. I think that's true, but I also just think that Chrissy is very immature and a brat and doesn't like anybody telling her what she has to do. So, backstage, Drew is, or excuse me, Christy is, like, flipping out and talking to producers, and at one point says about Jade, I'm her mother and I'll knock her ass out, which is, like, what? Yikes, bad. 
Okay, then Sean comes out, and Sean's like, well, I don't really understand why she feels so attacked, but I do understand that she feels underappreciated. I work with her at the restaurant, and I see she's so nice and caring and a hard worker, and she just hates the way that she comes off on TV, and this is what I meant. Like, this episode is very much what I meant by, like, Sean is very good at talking and, like, definitely knows what to say. Because this whole time he's up there, he's just, like, speaking in cliches and platitudes, and he sounds great, and Chrissy comes back out and is, like, all happy with Sean, and I'm like, what does Sean really do that makes him so great? I think Sean is just very good with his words. And that's it for, at least in part two, of Jade's family. So then Chelsea comes out, and we're all supposed to clap about how fucking incredible Chelsea is. How she's come out of her box and she's working so hard at being a professional designer. Ay-yay-yay. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I really want to talk about with this is how she says that Grandma Donna doesn't respect her as Aubrey's mom and thinks that she should be able to make decisions for Aubrey, which I'm sure is very frustrating. She's like, I'm not good at confrontation. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Uh, no shit. But I, I do understand Donna's frustration that like she can't have family events with Adam there when Aubrey's there like I do get that frustration but I agree with Chelsea that Donna needs to respect Chelsea as a mother so then they start talking about Cole and well first of all Chelsea says that she's doing way better Drew before Chelsea comes out says that we're going to talk about Chelsea starting therapy but I noticed that we did not talk about that at all because I'm Like, did Chelsea start therapy? We didn't see it on the show. They didn't talk about it at this reunion. At least, I don't think we... Did we see it in the... I only, like, half-watched the finale because I didn't do an episode on it. I can't remember. Did we... Did we see her start therapy? I don't think so. I don't think we did. And Drew doesn't mention it. But Chelsea's like, I'm just doing so much better. And then she says to Cole... Excuse me. About Cole. That... She does not have a single bad thing that she could say about him. That's a crazy thing to say about someone. Okay, first of all, like, maybe it's just me, but, like, I could say a negative thing about every single person who exists on planet Earth. (laughs) I understand that I'm a negative person, though, which is why I can do that. But seriously, like, how can you live with someone and be with them as often as they're together and not have, like, a single bad thing that you can say about them? Like... Nobody's perfect, and I think she has Cole on a pedestal that, like, really, it doesn't seem healthy. Like, I understand not wanting to talk shit about him, but I feel like if she had said, like, I I love Cole so much, and, like, I know it sounds corny, but, you know, he may not be perfect, but he's perfect for me, and I really feel like I found my soulmate, and we just complement each other so well. Like, I, I think... What really, like, made me go, is that she was like, I don't have a single bad thing to say about him. And, you know, I have issues. I have a lot, a lot of issues. But he, and, like, it is nice that she said that he doesn't make me feel any less than for them, which is super important. I think that's a great quality in a spouse. But I, there's just something concerning to me about hearing Chelsea say, like, I don't have a single bad thing to say about him. And then immediately going into, like, how she has problems. And I don't think, like, Cole, like, I don't think that's on Cole. I think that's just Chelsea, like, putting Cole on such a pedestal. I don't know. 
I just can't imagine ever saying, like, I don't have a single bad thing to say about somebody. And I do think that there is, like, a nice way to say, like, like, I'm not expecting her to talk shit on him. But when she's, like, if all, if what she said was, like, he's just perfect for me. Like, that I would get. I would really get if she said, like, he's just perfect for me. But something about, like, there's not a single bad thing I can say about him. Like, really? Not one? Not a single bad thing? (laughs) Okay, that's it for part two of the Teen Mom Reunion. That's really insane. Let's go on to Young and Pregnant. Ooh, Young and Pregnant. Okay, here's my question. I'm going to talk about Ashley first because... I am thinking they are leaving out that she was going to LA, although she said it was her girl's trip, to see this guy that she was dating who, actually, let me Google it so I say the right word. Okay, it's a rapper named 600 Breezy, and Starcasm was talking about them dating in May, like at the end of May. So I'm wondering if maybe that was why she was in L.A. And that's why Barr is flipping out. Not that that excuses Barr, but, you know, it's a thing. So basically, she went to L.A. and Barr blew up her phone the entire time he was she was there. Um, Barr goes out to lunch with a friend and is like... Well, it's really selfish of her to go to L.A. because I have stuff that I need to do. And now I need to watch Holly for two days. And it's like, okay, what does Barr have to do? He doesn't have a fucking job. (laughs) Truly, what does Barr have to do? Barr doesn't have anything to do. That's his child. If Ashley wants to leave for a full week, Barr should have a full week to watch her. Ugh, apparently Barr got really mad at her and the cell phone plan was in his name. So he shut off Ashley's phone as she was driving back from L.A., which is a six-hour drive. She was doing it at night. That's totally unreasonable. I would be so beyond heated. You know, God forbid something had happened. Yes, she would have been able to call 911, but I don't know if she even knows that. It's just not. It's so not right to do that. So Ashley's home and talking to Master T and... Ashley's like, well, he just feels like I'm leaving too much on trips. And he's like, well, I thought you weren't dating. Like, why does he care if you're going on trips? And he's like, well, maybe he thinks that you guys are together. And Ashley's like, no, I'm very clear on how I communicate. And have I not been saying this for like five weeks that she is extremely not clear on how she communicates? Because although in her words, she says we are not together, she still fucks him and hangs out with him all the time and acts like his girlfriend. I'm not on Barr's side as far as his behavior in this episode in that blowing up her phone the whole time that she's there, turning off her phone, like, none of that is appropriate. I think that's all, like, totally not okay. But am I on Barr's side in feeling like he doesn't understand what's going on with Ashley? Like, yeah. And I've been on Barr's side because you can't tell someone that we're broken up but still suck their dick every day. That's just not how it works. It's just, it's just not it. It's just not it. So Ashley is like, how could you, you know, the fact that he like could turn off my phone when I'm driving home in the middle of the night across the state and like not even be concerned. And that I agree with. Like I, as I said, I would be livid, but I would also be like really hurt. Like we live in a day and age where you need a cell phone. Taking a trip without a cell phone is like actually dangerous because it's not like there are 
you know, like pay phones where you can get a hold of anyone, except if you are Jesse and your neighbor puts a pay phone outside. This is so crazy. So Jesse, who's been on this podcast multiple times, uh, my dear, dear friend lives in Portland, Oregon, and one of her neighbors put a like free pay phone like on their block and you can like just use it to call at any time. <laughs> And she just has people like that, like there's a lady apparently who just like screams into the phone every day. (laughs) Anyway, where was I? Oh, so it's not like there are payphones unless you happen to live on Jesse's block and there's a payphone there. Um... But Ashley is like, I'm just hurt that he could do that. And I think I'd be on the same page. And she starts crying. And little Holly, who's not even two years old in these scenes, I want everyone to remember, goes, Mommy hurt? Mommy hurt? Holly has such a good vocabulary. And, like, her speech is so clear. Like, it's just... They do such a good job. Even Shen at one point when her and Ashley weren't fighting, Shen was complimenting like how well Ashley does with reading and speaking with Holly, that she's so far advanced in her speech. The episode ends with Ashley going out with Chris, her sister, and some of her friends. And Chris says exactly what I've been saying this whole time, which is you can't fuck Bar if you don't want to be with Bar. (laughs) And Ashley's like, well, yeah, maybe he just got the wrong idea because like I didn't cut him off, cut him off. And it's like, no doy. She does say, though, which I think is a real worry and enlightening to how she was feeling, something like, I'm worried that if I don't, like, do what I need to do to see him, then he won't do what he needs to do to see Holly. And Chris is like, you cannot be responsible for that, in which I 100% agree with Chris. Okay, let's talk about Bree, who... Her storyline was childproofing her house. <laughs> okay. I did enjoy, though, the moments of her talking about how, you know, Brayson being disabled has not seemed to stop his development at all. She is like, I, I constantly think, like, he won't be able to do something. And not only does he does it, he does it so well. I thought that was really not inspiring isn't the right word, but love. I guess lovely to see uh, a child that is born with a disability just living a completely normal life. He is, Brayson is really cute. Also, someone posted a picture of baby Jace around Brayson's age, and it was, they look alike, which I had never noticed before, but they do. Um, Jessica is like, you need self-care, but also, bitch, get some health insurance. <laughs> Oh, and uh, Bree's just ignoring her $8,000 hospital bill, which, like, I can't say that I blame her for. (laughs) She also signs Brayson up for swim lessons. She's like, well, he's going to have to learn how to swim with one arm, so let's get him in the water. And that's really it. Bree has really... Bree started off with so much promise, and obviously, like, the key missing is Milo, you know, I think that that's very obvious. Like, season one of Brie was so captivating, her segments, and now they are really, really quite boring. She just does... I And I honestly think... Now, this is going to sound crazy, but I think in a way, because she's kind of Chelsea-ish. I know. 
I know, guys. I I understand that she's not actually like Chelsea, but I think that she's like a poor version of Chelsea in a way, and that like her life is boring. Like I think her entire life is working and taking care of Brayson. I don't think she has a lot of friends. I don't think she does a lot. I don't think, at least right now, she has like any drama with guys. I think that the majority of her life is just going to work and taking care of her kid. She talks to her sister on the phone. She spends time with her mom. But I don't think she has anything going on that's worth filming. Um, They should reevaluate if Brie's going to stay on the show next year. At least I think. I think if I was changing this cast around, I would ditch Brie. Which is hard because, like, I know Brie and Jessica are, like, waiting for a big payout. So, I don't know. Maybe give Brie one more season so she can, like, get her head above water. Because I think next season... Well, I wonder if they're an A and B or A or B right now. I think they're an A of a new, I don't know. But eventually, like, I would like to see Brie get some money. I would like that for her. But she's just boring because she doesn't have anything going on at all. Okay, let's talk about the queen of this season, Rachel. (laughs) So Jacob is very attached to Hazley, as she lets us know. And Mallory's over and they're talking about how Mallory also doesn't know the father of her child, which I guess we knew, but I think I may have forgotten. And she was hanging out with Lane this week, who is possibly one of the guys, like, that is the baby daddy. And Rachel's like, well, you should get a DNA test. And if you get a DNA test and the baby's Lane's, like, you're going to have to let him co-parent. And Mallory's like, you're a fucking hypocrite. Like, you know Drew is that baby's dad and you're not letting Drew come around. And Rachel's like, no, I'm not a hypocrite because we're not getting a DNA test because we are letting Jacob be the dad and Drew doesn't want to be the dad at all. So we're not, I'm not actually a hypocrite. What I'm saying to you is if you do get a DNA test and it does come back that he's the dad and he wants to be the dad, then you have to co-parent. And I actually agreed with Rachel. I don't think she was being hypocritical in that that moment because I mean I think later obviously they include that conversation so that because only God only knows when that conversation actually happened but they included that to let us know like to let us know that Rachel is going to become a hypocrite but I think she was right um I wonder who that baby's dad is they all seem like very sure that it's true <laughs> but I'm how can they be that sure like, the date of conception isn't that, like, isn't very scientific. Like, how can they be so sure that it's Drew's? I don't really get it. Um, So, Rachel's brother moved to their Nana's house. Something about her mom being at work so there's nobody to look over him. I don't know. I'm like, huh? How old is Rachel? Well, I guess Rachel's brother is young. Because he's the, her little brother and Rachel is 17, right? She had her 17th birthday. Oh, so maybe he's, like, 14 or 15 and, like, in ninth grade. So, yeah, I guess he, like, literally needs constant adult supervision because he's, like, an actual child. I really like Carter, Rachel's brother. I'm a fan of him. I think that he's really nice and has a good head on his shoulder and seems like a good sounding board for Rachel. Especially it's, like, a nice break from watching Rachel and Mallory scream at each other to Rachel and Carter just, like, hanging out and being friends. So Rachel, or Carter asks if Rachel would ever move back into Nana's because it seems like the underlying 
part of this conversation is that Rachel's mom is still pretty unstable, even though she is no longer using. And Carter's like, well, wouldn't you want to move back in with Nana? Like, basically being like, we both know that Nana's house is a superior place. And Rachel says, it's not that she doesn't want to, but Nana wouldn't let Jacob move in. And Jacob and her are doing so well right now. Jacob is, like, the best boyfriend that she's ever had. And she loves him so much. And he's so good with Hazley. And then Carter. And this is such an MTV setup conversation. By the way, have we seen them break... Oh, no, they don't break the fourth wall and you're pregnant. Right, right, right. So I say we haven't seen them break the fourth wall at all with Rachel. And then I forgot they don't break the fourth wall and young and pregnant. <laughs> Adoy, Liz. Um, this is such a set of conversation because Carter's like, oh, by the way, uh, the other day when you weren't at mom's, Drew stopped by. <laughs> Ay, 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 ay. Rachel is like, what the fuck? And she said that she's going to let drew meet jacob or excuse me she wants to let drew meet hazley but she knows jacob isn't going to be into it she explains to us it's because drew is her most recent ex so jacob doesn't want her hanging out with him and it's like she goes well you know drew and jacob used to be friends but (laughs) like it's just so funny the way she like removes herself kind of from this conversation she's like well you know he's like my recent ex and like of course my boyfriend doesn't want me hanging out with him not like Drew and Jacob were best friends. Drew was my boyfriend. Then I started fucking Jacob. But then I started fucking Drew again. And then I got pregnant. And it wasn't Jacob's. It was Drew's. So I wasn't with Jacob. And I was with Drew. But then Drew didn't want anything to do with me. So I let Jacob come back around. And now, like, we're super in love. Like, no shit he doesn't want you to see Drew, girl. Also, apparently, they all know and accept that Drew is Hazley's baby. And Jacob is just plain daddy. Like, that's why they're not getting a DNA test. Because they don't want to know. So, Jacob has an understanding that if Drew's in the picture, then there's no room for him. He's not that kid's daddy. (laughs) He's plain daddy, but he's not that kid's daddy. And I do think that there are situations where, you know, uh, I mean, he's not a step-parent because they're not married. But, like, a step-parent type figure can be daddy. You know, there are situations. I personally know a family where I had a friend that got pregnant by a big asshole. They've been together for a while. And they broke up. And she started talking to her ex-boyfriend from many years before. They got together when she was, like, seven months pregnant. And it's now, like, I think 11 years later. Like, it's years later. Years, years later. And they're still together. And that is, you know, I think she gets child support from the bio dad. But he's no part of the daughter's life. And she gets like she that guy is the dad he's absolutely the dad and so I know that there are situations where this happens but there's also like not a false pretense that he may be the dad like he fully understands what role he has and there's no miscommunication there and I think that with Rachel and Jacob like they're pretending like he is the bio dad when he's not (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. So Rachel's like, well, I'm going to see Drew anyway. (laughs) Rachel is very immature, but she's also 17 and from a terrible family. So I try and give her a little bit of slack. But basically, she's like, well, Jacob's with his family, so I'm going to go take her Hazley to meet Drew. But, like, since he's with his family, I, like, can't let him know. I'm like, can you not send a fucking text message? (laughs) Uh, her and her friend go and pick up Drew and bring him back to the house. And 
suddenly I don't understand what happens. Suddenly Jacob is aware of what's going on and Rachel and her friend go to pick him up. And then Rachel comes back to the house and Rachel or Rachel comes in to get the baby because Jacob is like, okay, well, I, who knows what happens, but we are to understand that Jacob says that Rachel and the baby are going to go with him to his house that night because Drew is there. I don't understand why Drew wouldn't just leave and Jacob would come home because Jacob lives with them, doesn't he? I'm a little unsure of, like, what transpired here. I feel this way kind of often in Rachel's segments. I think it's because these situations escalate so quickly in a way that I have trouble following along with. But... Jacob is suddenly in the back seat of this friend's car without a shirt on. <laughs> Rachel comes in, like, pissed off, basically yelling at her mom and Drew, like, I have to get out of here. I have to go with Jacob. I'm not fucking up my relationship over this. And I'm like, hold on. You are the one that went and picked up Drew and brought him over. Like, she, the way she is acting, you would have thought that Drew showed up to her house and, like, refused to leave and was, like, holding them at gunpoint. It was so weird. Like, Rachel was acting like she had no part in this whatsoever and was, like, set up, like, set up by Drew coming over and she had no idea it was going to happen. I was like, Rachel, you're the one that invited Drew over. Just ask him to leave. <laughs> like, removing her and Hazley from the situation and not just asking Drew to leave was truly very weird. Um, Drew and her mom have a conversation where her mom's like, well, you know, like, I'm 99% sure this is your baby. <laughs> Drew says that he, he's like, well, I don't want to say, like, I think the baby's mine or not, but I'm in a more stable place now, and so I'm interested in, like, coming around and meeting the baby, and I understand why that makes Jacob nervous, and basically, uh, the mom, who's, I think her name is Stephanie, I can never remember her name. They don't give her a car on often, I don't think, but basically, like, Rachel's mom and Drew understand why Jacob feels very threatened by him, but Rachel's mom is also telling Rachel, like, she shouldn't go because she's letting Jacob control her, and Rachel's like, he's not being controlling. You don't understand what just happened. You don't even know what I just went through. It was very weird how quickly it escalated and how we got, like, it sounded like 25% of the story. But yeah, I want to see them take a DNA test. I feel like MTV needs to ensure there will be a DNA test because I think we're all owed a DNA test when it comes down to it. Like, are we not? Are we not all owed a DNA test or what? (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Kaya goes with her. Well, first her and Tiaza go to get smoothies and they're talking about bringing a more to go see Xavion at jail the next day and Kaya I don't know I thought this conversation was pretty mature Kaya says like what can I do to make you more comfortable with this and Tiaza is like there's honestly nothing you can do because this is these are my feelings and it basically saying like this is kind of irrational I understand that you're not actually doing anything like taking your the child to go see his father Like, you're not doing anything wrong with it. I'm just having feelings. I was pretty surprised by that answer and actually pretty impressed. And then, like, I was blown away by this. Like, I was shocked by this because Tiaza was... Ashley... Or, Ashley. Kaya says something about, like... 
Well, I could... Actually, I don't know. My notes are bad, so I don't know who brought it up first. But it comes up, and Tiaza says, like, well, you could take the baby away at any time, and I wouldn't be part of his life anymore. And Kaya's like, well, I could do that, but I wouldn't do that. And Tiaza's like, really emphasizing, like, but you could. And it was interesting because I don't think either of them were speaking cruelly to one another in this scene. I think it was a very real conversation. I think Tiaza was being very honest when she's like, I had, like, I think, I think basically what Tiaza was saying is like, part of what is going on is that I have a deep understanding that like, you very well could take this baby that I'm raising away from me because I have no rights to this baby. And I thought that was good of them to both say out loud because that is real and that is the truth and I've been harping about that but then at the same time it's like okay Tiaza so stop raising that baby that your 18 year old girlfriend could take away from you like remove yourself from this situation Kaya takes the baby to go see Xavion after she goes with her cousin um and afterward they go to lunch and she says that <sighs> more just like knew who Xavion was which like okay and then Xavion says that he wants to be with her when they get out because he wants to be a family and he never had a family and Kai is like well you know I'm with Tiaza and he says well it'd be better if it's the three of us so that we can be a family and it'd be better for him and Kaya says something kind of weird I don't think this is what she meant she says like I don't think either way would be better for him which actually I guess that's not weird. Like, I agree with it because she's speaking about what would be best for the baby and not what was best for her. And I think she would, like, would say, like, it'd be better for me to be with Tiaza than it would be for you because I don't think she even really knows Xavion. I get the impression that her and Xavion were, like, fucking around for a tiny little bit. She got pregnant and then he was arrested shortly after. But I get, I think what she meant was, like, for a more, like, he has a family no matter what. The three of us are a family no matter what. Like, it's not better for him if the two of us are together or if I'm with Tiaza, which I guess is true. Um, but I wonder how Tiaza will take that. If I was her, I would be like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> that would not make me feel very good. <laughs> okay, let's wrap this up with Kayla. And I guess... Luke picked a college in Iowa, which is only apparently a couple hours away from where they live. And Kayla goes from talking about, like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do to be like, well, when I move to Iowa. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he's like, he comes and he's like, okay, well, I'm going sometime in August. And Kayla's like, do you know what day in August? <laughs> and he's like, nope. And she's like, our baby is due on August 21st. Uh, this whole episode is about how much she resents Luke, how much she resents her life, how much she resents having a little kid, how much she resents being pregnant. And I will say my empathy levels are quite low for her because this is like all a mess of her own making. Like why she didn't get an IUD like as soon as she got with Luke and started having sex with him regularly, moved in with him without an IUD or a more reliable form of birth control than just the pill was really... It's just, it's like this, this is all you. Like, you could have gotten an abortion. Like, you did not need to have this baby. Like, I mean, she's right. She's like, well, it's going to be hard for me to meet friends in Iowa because, like, I'm not going to be going to college. And it's like, yeah. And she's like, I'm just going to be at home with the babies and by myself and isolated. I won't have my friends. And it's like, yes. <laughs> 
All of these are factual statements, but it's hard to feel bad for her because, like, she's the one that, you know, had, first of all, had a boyfriend or had a baby with a loser in the first place. And then she is the one that immediately met this new guy and moved in with him within, like, a minute and then was pregnant with him within two minutes. And when she says stuff like, all I am is a mother, like, I don't have any free time, it's like, yeah. And she says, like, well, I'm afraid of losing Luke because then if I lose Luke, like, I, that'll be another father figure that Isaiah is losing. And it's like, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Just, I don't think Kayla is necessarily a bad person. I think she has a lot of really bad qualities. Maybe she's a bad person. That black scent she does is, like, really, it's not good. It's not good. There's a lot of, like, racist stuff that she's doing, in my opinion. Um, but like we're, but you know, like if you called her out on it, she'd be like, how can I be racist? Like both my baby fathers are black. My children are black. Like, like, but while saying it, well, no, she probably wouldn't be saying it in a black sense. Like if a white person was calling her out on it, she'd be like speaking in her like true voice. And then if a black person was calling her out on it, she'd be like using a black scent. Like Kayla has issues. Um, but I don't think Kayla deep down like is setting out to, like, hurt people and be a bad person, but, like, all of her choices are so fucking stupid. Like, they're so stupid that it's very hard to feel bad for her because it's, like, truly no one is making you have a second child. First of all, like, you having that baby with Stefan, Stefan, Stefan was fucking insane. The fact that she had a baby with Stefan was probably the stupidest decision any human of all time could ever make, right? Like, it was just so dumb. She, like, she says Stefan wanted to get, she told me I should get an abortion, and I was like, well, maybe Stefan was right, because look at where she is now with Stefan, and poor Isaiah has Stefan as a father. Like, imagine giving your child Stefan as a father. Like, that's sad and fucked up, but whatever. She's here. She did it. It's done, and so then for her to basically repeat the exact same mistake, except at least this time, at least the dad seems good so far. Like, and then she's going to follow him to college and what, they're going to live in an apartment. He's going to go to school and play basketball. Is he going to go to parties? Like, is he going to be a college student? It's just, she even says to her friend, like, well, I had it figured out because Isaiah's going to be too soon. And when the babies are two is when they can go to the college daycare. And then I was going to go in class, but Now I'm pregnant and we'll have an infant. And it's like, who's making you do that? (laughs) Kayla is much like, kind of like Rachel and just acting like she closed her eyes and then opened them and all of a sudden had a baby and another one on the way with some new guy who's going to be moving out of state to go to school to play basketball. She's like, how did I even get here? Like she had no part of it and made no active choices to be part of this. And it's just like a visitor in her life and not the one living it. And that's frustrating to me. That is something that I find very frustrating. Someone who takes no accountability whatsoever for their actions and then is just constantly, just constantly shocked by what's going on. And I didn't really get that impression from Kayla in the past, but watching how she's acting with this pregnancy and just first of all, like how miserable she seems about it. I'm like, girl, why are you putting yourself through this? Why? Why, why, why? It's just, I just think it's a shame that she is making these choices and really, you know, the fact that the stakes are so high with Luke so soon in is just a shame because I do think Luke is, I don't know, I think Luke, at least from what we know, he's a good person and I don't understand why she, like, felt the need that she needed 
felt the need to bring it to the level that it's at so quick instead of like actually building a relationship. <sighs> Her and Luke go to lunch or dinner or whatever and basically talk about their feelings and Luke once again promises her that everything is going to be okay and it's going to be fine not oh my gosh I have the hiccups and not to worry but I don't know they're still together now so maybe I'm wrong maybe Luke really just is going to be with her forever and they're going to get married and everything will work out but we'll see okay guys that's it as I said I'm going to be off next week but then I'll be back please 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 if you want to help Operation Santa find me on Instagram and you can read more about it or just Venmo or cash at me at BentleyLiz1. As I said, contact me if you want to PayPal me. I'm open to all donations. 100% of everything donated, of course, of course, will go towards these families that I've adopted. Uh, I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas because I won't talk to you until after. Hanukkah will have started by then, so also Happy Hanukkah if you celebrate nothing. Honestly, bully for you because I kind of wish I was you. All right, guys, I will talk to you in two weeks. Kiss, kiss. Love you. Bye. This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards www.patreon.com slash ebpsycho 